so lately because of the fact that I have to produce five shows a, a week, I'm having to read more than I ever read before in my life. And one of the articles I started reading was, and this has nothing to do with what we're going to talk about, but I figured okay. I would bring it up. Me. Um, me. Uh, the streaming industry, I got to find the article. Oh, here goes. Found it. My notes here, too. So the streaming industry right now, we talked to a guy who is running two point something billion dollars worth of Christian investment. And yesterday on the show, and I asked him, I said, hey, has anybody figured out streaming yet? Is uh, streaming, uh, you know, no, nobody's cracked the nuts between streaming, its content, and um, profit. So yeah, yeah, people are getting all these subscribers, but nobody's subscriber count has given them a profitable margin in the streaming industry. So right. that it all makes sense. Nobody's met like that. So it's kind of like uh, Twitter. They're very popular. They're very cultural, culturally driven. They drive the cultural yeah. conversations. Yeah. They're the platform for that. But um, they 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 don't make any money. Which right. is why Elon Musk is seems really good because if he can make you money off an industry that you can't make money off of, then it makes sense. I mean, I, I like my shares in Twitter, but above control in the culture, I would like to make some profit. <laughs> um, so, so there's this article that popped up that said that Hulu is driving more streaming subscribers to Disney than Marvel or Star Wars. And in this article, it's a it's really a profound article because – they said Disney's chief executive, Bob Chapik, is that how you say his name, Chapik? Ch Chapik, I think, yeah. Yeah, has set a target of signing up between 230 million and 260 million Disney Plus subscribers and achieving profitability for the streaming business by September 2024. Now, that's in two years from now. There's no way. That's not, a, that's not realistic. That is assuming that he can – control the market in a way that no one else has been able to control the market. So it doesn't seem viable in any way. Not to me anyway. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. Unrealistic. And, and, unless he's got, I mean, he's got to have an ace up his sleeve that we don't know if that's viable. Does that, like, when I look at what there is right now, I think no, that's probably not possible. But two hundred thirty to two hundred sixty million new subscribers. I mean, maybe that's what the monkeypox is for. I don't know. Well, they're going to need a lot, more, a lot more <laughs> monkeypox. So, um, so this is this is what they're going to say, and I'll get to my point here pretty quick. Some analysis um, and investors have described streaming as a drag on Disney share price which has fallen by nearly 40% this year amid a broader pullback in media stocks. Disney Plus has 137.7 million global subscribers. Okay, right. That's what they've had total since they've been going. And they really started right in the beginning of the pandemic, really, 2020, 2019, right around that time. Yeah, they launched before it. They had their big push um, right after, yeah. They, yeah. So they launched the tech. And everything, but they they have been slowly not re-signing any of their intellectual property to other streaming services for about three years. So that's the that's at least they've been prepping that long 
they launched before they even had all of their intellectual property rights back, but knowing that they could slowly re-release everything. Yeah, because I remember Black Panther and a few other shows yep. I think Fox still had or something like that, so they had to yep. buy that. Yeah. That's, that article talked about this a little bit, too. Um, and so the most recent, uh, that's what the most recent quarter ending. Hulu streaming only service, Hulu, Hulu streaming only service has 41.4 million subscribers, while Hulu Live with Disney's setup is $70 a month live TV streaming product has 4.1 million. Part of this article was saying that uh, Hulu brings more to Disney as far as club members or streaming subscribers than Disney brings to Disney. So then it goes on to say that the streaming segment overall lost $887 million in the most recent quarter and its losses have totaled more than $6 billion since the launch of Disney+. Plus. Six billion dollars since the launch of disney plus and jason i had to ask myself why why is disney why why is nobody figuring out streaming why have why are they six billion dollars and six billion and and they're still digging so then it goes on to say that they plan to is it that gotta find it so think about it there's six billion dollars in the hole on this streaming thing um, and then that they plan to spend $32 billion producing content just this year alone. So Disney, Disney's cash cow are the parks. That's where they make their big money. But the strength of the park depends upon the strength of, of their intellectual property. Disney Plus strengthens the, the intellectual property. So you're saying Disney Plus strengthens the intellectual property, but it doesn't necessarily bring... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't bring the money direct, but it, it. You know, if you've got, if you, Disney. So Disney Plus makes it so that you can have families that watch Frozen a hundred times, and then that makes it so that Disneyland is the ideal place to bring your yeah. kids for vacation, and that's where the money. I mean, if you look at their profit sheets, the money comes in through the parks, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so they don't care about losing six billion dollars in film and saying, "Hey, we're going to put another thirty-six billion dollars into producing films." By the way, a third of that licensing that they're going to put thirty-six billion dollars—I'm saying that with a B, by the way—that yeah. license yep. is going to go. A, a third of it is going to go to sports licensing. So you six billion dollars in whole. No, 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 oh, and Disney, just Disney. What sports licensing? Probably they, stuff that they don't. Own. I mean, they, they. I guess they got to get stuff from the NFL. They, they own, don't own the NFL. They own it, but they own ESPN. So yeah, the ESPN has to license their stuff from the NFL, from the NBA, so they're, from. They get a secondary yeah. license at Disney Plus as well. Wow. Well, there's no. Well, there could be a secondary licensing. Yeah, it could be. That's possible. But whatever the case is, that they're going to be. Getting into sports a lot, at least a third of their money yeah, is going to go to sports. I think. They should get into esports, honestly. That's if they want an international audience. But I, I mean, what? So most of their movies lose money. Yeah. Just they're trying to figure out: can we create a licensing situation which our movies don't lose money? They make up for the loss of the of the money in the movies with merchandise, with parks, um, with license, with 
intellectual property licenses, advertising, um, uh, that, that, you know, they, they put their stuff into other people's commercials, you know, you got it, they put it into McDonald's Happy Meals, although I don't think they do that much anymore. Um, yeah. But, but the intellectual property is the thing that's valuable, not the movie itself. That's right. what's, that's what's really, really, um, that, that's what I think people don't, don't realize when they, you know, when you go and look at, and you see how come all these movies lost money and the, but the studios have a lot of money. It's because the intellectual property is actually the, the thing that's valuable, not the movie itself. And so, you know, um, you know, I, I, uh, had an acquaintance uh, that he was, he had a tiny, tiny role in White Men Can't Jump. And 30 years later, he's still getting checks for seven cents, eight cents every quarter. Because, and he had, and he, he didn't own points or anything. He had one line. And that means that 30, 40 years later, White Men Can't Jump is still bringing in money, right? Nobody's necessarily going out and renting it. I mean, maybe a little bit here and there. Streaming licensing, yeah. streaming licensing. They're right. They're they're continuing to to license um, their movies, and that's what people are trying to. That's the thing that people are trying to unlock. Is that is that ability to um, find the audience to connect the audience with the what they want, but what there's this. Here you go, industry secrets. There's this long-term rhythm. If you read um, history, you know when when the pandemic started, I I dug into the history of history of movies that were popular during um, different financial times. Right? What stories do people want, turn to when the finances when when the economy goes up, when the economy goes down? So lay, I laid the history of the most popular movies um, alongside the history of the economy of America and just looked for correlations. And it's really straightforward correlations because we turn to stories for to, to re- alleviate our fear, right? When, we, when we're afraid, often it's because we don't know where I fit in this story. And so that the discomfort, we, we name fear, um, and when the, when we're un, when we have a lot of, when there's a lot of economic strength, a lot of money, a, you know, property values are going up. Um, you have, uh, pe- the, the stories that people turn to are post-apocalyptic destruction stories. Uh, you know, everything goes wrong, you know, because the fear is I don't understand why I'm, prosperous right now right so um so the alienation of prosperity brings a particular kind of alienation that spawns horror movies zombie movies post-apocalyptic movies um, because that taps into the fear that people have um, that comes with prosperity times lean times when the economy goes down you know when when you've got recessions and um you you get uh, it, interestingly, you get two kinds of stories. You get stories about the ultra wealthy become really popular. 
the and I, I uh, and especially like the rags to riches type of stories. That kind of makes sense. But stories about the ultra wealthy are are a little strange in my mind. But the other thing is like Oregon Trail stories, survival stories, uh, where where people are starting to say, okay, I don't have much. How do we deal? Like, what's how do I fit into this story if I'm if the cupboards are bare? What story mm-hmm. brings me comfort? But it's it's exploration stories, stories where people they their cupboards are thin and bare, but they use but they, it's because they're pushing into something new. But, um, so you get exploration stories, space stories, Oregon Trail stories, survival stories. Uh, stuck on a desert island stories, you know, th- those kinds of stories become really popular in downturns of the economy um, because they bring hope, right? Uh, the romantic comedy was spawned as a movie, uh, as a movie genre during the Great Depression, right? People started to say, I need hope. I, I need a happy ending that, that, that doesn't, that springs out of something that I can't see coming, right? So the story, I mean, People are story creatures, um, storytelling creatures. It's one of the, I think it's the, one of the central things that sets apart the image of God from other kinds of beings is that you know, we're storytelling creatures. When, when the first time we're told we're made in the image of God is right after a six-stanza poem that God just used to create the world. And said, and we're made in the image of this God, right, this God that just, told the story of creation and it came to be the God that used words and art to uh, words and poetry to create art. Right. So I think the, what stories we tell, what stories resonate with us in the particular time and moment tells us a lot about who we are, what kind of creatures we are. I'm making the connection to, so you're saying You're saying Disney's trying to figure that out? Disney's trying to – everybody's trying to figure that out right now, right? All the streaming companies, because somebody will. It's like like when there was the the newspaper printing press was invented. Thousands of newspapers started. The New York Times, the New York Post, the Chicago Tribune, a handful of them survived that – the original burst. But there were thousands and thousands of people that were trying to figure out how do we make this new technology profitable. Streaming is in that same situation. So I think we're going to get a bunch of more streaming services popping up. Hulu, you know, they they started thinking they would get into production and almost bankrupted themselves trying to get into production because um, it's really hard. But that was what Netflix was doing. And so, you know, you started getting Netflix originals. And so Hulu was like, oh, we need originals. That's the ticket. And it almost bankrupted them. Uh, and the and now they make almost no originals. They um, they ended up changing their focus and saying documentaries, docuseries. That's gonna uh, that that's gonna be our bread and butter. They got Spike Lee made a good deal with Spike Lee to release his documentaries. So because they said that return on investment in a documentary. We can handle that, right. and then and then we'll become the streaming service for every TV station that doesn't want to start its own streaming service. 
built their brand back up, and Disney bought it because the technology was good, uh, and they had they had found a niche that they could make profitable. Well, and they were part of Fox, and so when they bought Fox, they actually kind of inherited a portion of Hulu. I don't think they own them outright yet. I think yeah, not, not a, yeah, they're getting there, though. They're working on it. I think it's like a 21 or $27 billion deal to own Hulu all outright at this point. Um, I think is what they're, but the value actually might change depending on what this next quarter of streaming looks like at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Well, I think that the push to become the streaming service that owned live sports was really smart. Um, because that's the thing that keeps people with cable, right? Is the live sports. That's it. It's all, it's I'm, all that's I'm, left. I'm going to kick you back out for a second because it's doing that skipping thing. Hold on. <laughs> I have no okay. idea. Hey, um, Guys, I think our internet is the one that's doing it. When I got a signal from Restream, it says that our internet wasn't. Are you still, is it still doing it to you? Is it? I don't know. My, yeah, yes. It's our internet says good. It's just skipping all over the place. Hold on. Uh, it's actually I checked our internet and our internet was down to like five megs up. So that was what we were sending up. I don't think it's you, Jason. I think our internet. Okay. Is like, Funny. Anyway, we'll try and do our best and make it yeah. do this. The other, um, so, is there any way? First of all, Christians aren't even in the conversation streaming. First of all, um, no. the, they're trying. They're trying to get into it, but I think we're trying. We're we're doing the Saul's armor thing. And we're we're going around and asking all of the kings if we can borrow their armor to go fight Goliath and. I hate when you do stuff like that. What do you mean by that? <laughs> I mean, where that's the it. Um, so I mean, this is this is where I'm. This is my where I'm working right now, right? This is my. Uh, this, so this is where where my, the majority of my reading is in the history of television right now. I mean, I started my first declared my first declared so my third declared major was <laughs> <laughs> history of pop culture, right? So. I started as a math physics major, wanted to do astrophysics, and then um, switched almost immediately to music. It was a percussion performance major. Um, hit ear training, found out that because I didn't grow up in church, I didn't grow up singing. I just like I I couldn't I I couldn't pass out of my ear training tests. Uh, I could now because now I've been singing hymns for 25 right. years, and so now I've now I can actually. Go in, I can recognize chords and all sorts of stuff because the church trained me in music like it's supposed to. It's, it's building an eternal choir. That's the, what the church is doing right now. But the my then so then they were like, you should probably find a new major if you can't pass ear training. Um, and so I switched to the history of pop culture, uh, and so spent a year as a history of pop culture major and loved it. Uh, and then ended up expanding and becoming to classics. Uh, but uh, the the uh, history of television and movies and music and the, just the is what's fascinating about it is there's a push pull in the whole story right? yeah. where because you have you there's always an underground with a niche audience yeah that that becomes the primary audience of the next generation or becomes the primary producers of the next generation. But 
but there yeah. there's this art house um uh and it happens in music it happens in poetry it happens in storytelling it happens in television right where you've got stuff that people that only a small group of people watch but it's much more influential because it's the people that watch it are the artists of the next generation so you've got something like um you know, like MTV, like the MTV cartoons were not popular. All the cartoonists that started the Cartoon Network watched, grew up on the MTV cartoons, though, watched them, were fascinated, and then they ran out and started the Cartoon Network. When the Cartoon Network started, it wasn't popular, but all of the people that went and, you know, um, you know that ended up running Nickelodeon, Disney, uh, uh, DreamWorks, you know, uh, they were watching the Cartoon Network. The Cartoon Network eventually becomes one of the more popular, more profitable networks on television, um, uh, right alongside Nickelodeon. Nick- Nickelodeon, when it started, literally they're just filming in somebody's basement, right? And uh, but they got all of the kids. So if you if yeah. you look at wh- why is it that all of a sudden you've got this huge burst of television, um, or of of reality television that's so popular. Well, it's because the kids were all raised on Nickelodeon, which was just reality television in these different producers' basements. Um, and and they were really smart. They were good at what they did. They gr- made great shows. The the original cartoons on Nickelodeon are still, I think, some of the best made, um, you know, low budget cartoons that there are out there. But what they did was they captured the next generation of artists, right? Christians, and I've talked to Christian investors, Christians in media uh, investment, and they'll say, you can't compete without $100 million. But it's because they want to compete with Netflix in Saul's armor. Right, they want to go up against Netflix and Saul's armor. Yeah. They don't want to say, "Well, what? How does the world actually work? What if we, what if we created the art house? What if Christians were the ones that did the art house? What if we were the ones that influenced the next generation of artists?" So rather than thinking, um, we we said, "Well, where are the five stones that don't look like they should bring down Goliath, but actually do?" Right. Um, and it's the it's the it's capturing the imagination of the artists of the next generation and saying like this is what freedom looks like, right? Because so you look at something like Eon Flux, the cart the the MTV cartoon that said this that gave that said this is what freedom looks like, right? Half naked, you know, more than half naked women, um, over sexualized everything, uh, the drugs and violence and all it, the, the the pitch was this is freedom right well the kids raised on that are the ones that are now you know they, they finished high school they're now in college and they're living out the freedom that that their imagination was that, that built the stories that built their imagination and their definition of freedom they're living that out and they're I mean they're discovering that it actually leads to large-scale corporate sexual violence. You know, I mean, it's 
it's uh, the, this is that that spirit of erotic violence that we talked about. They're discovering that now, and they're saying, you know, we need gun laws to uh-huh. stop this, right? Well, this is imagination formation that happened when they were young, um, and it's not just. I mean, it's not just the cartoons. It's just I think it's an example, um, not a. It, it, it's the they were getting it from every side, right? Because they grew up in the middle of the sexual revolution, of the the real sexual revolution in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, so you've got this, this put, but what? But those weren't popular cartoons. They were influential cartoons, mm. right? um, and and what we want is popularity. Not. But we, we don't want influence the way God has built the world, right? Because that is a, that takes a long time, right? We want microwaved popularity that we can then look at and say, look how influential we are. We just made a bunch of money or we just you – know, whatever the whatever the metric is, this many people watched it. We, um, we, we, want, we, we want popularity, fame – when God is like, well, there's a way to influence, right? But it involves generations. <laughs> mm-hmm. The most, I mean, the most influential thing you can do is raise awesome kids, right? Raise kids that love the Lord, that, that see the needs of their neighbor and serve them, right? That that look around and say, hey, this is my city. Let's make this the best possible city that we can that is faithful to the Lord, right? Let's. What is um what what does covenant faith what does covenant faithfulness look like? I want to dig in there, knowing that that's what that 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 that's where the influence is, right? Like the influence is in the fruit, but that involves planting, that involves plowing, planting, um, you know, the 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 slow process of growing trees. Um, and you know, but Christ, Christians don't think that way, and so we're losing. I mean, Netflix. Netflix got into the streaming game before the technology was invented. Netflix is currently funding the infrastructure build for internet throughout Africa. Right? They're thinking like forty years down the road. What if all of Africa had internet? Then they could all have Netflix. <laughs> like, so Christ, Christians are. We used to do that. We used to do that with we, school. We used to do that with churches. The gospel was our Netflix in one sense. Like we said, yeah. we want everybody to have this. So what does it look like for them to have that? Well, they need to be able to read. They also need to be able to um, uh, be able to produce a society that allows for education to have a safe environment. So everything that we wanted for people to have to enjoy the beauty of the gospel, we said, well, it, we need to have peace in the society. We need to have an environment for these kids to learn. We need to have them to be able to read. That means husbands need to love their wives. And we just, all of a sudden, we were like, this, and that way they get to enjoy Jesus. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, that's the, the brethren of common life. They, this little tiny group of, of men that said, hey, what, what would it look like to have an educated society? Well, you know what we need? We need libraries and kids that can read. Well, let's start bringing in kids, teach them how to read, and and then we'll give them an education as they copy out books, right? So 
we'll teach the kids how to make libraries. So the kids are they're coming in, they're copying out books, and every time a new set of li- a new library was finished, right, they got all the books copied. They would take that library, go to the next town, start another school, right? 1300s. Every single reformer was educated in the Brethren of the Common Life School 200 years later. Wow. So just 200 years, and they freed the entire world from this. <laughs> like literally, they, they brought freedom to the entire world. But what they started with was we need a school in this town, and the next town over needs one too. Let's use the school to make a library for that town, right? Next thing you know, um, you know, you, you look at um, you know, India is a part of the common law tradition. Right? That's that's brethren of the common life fruit um, from the 1300s, the, the class system being deconstructed and everybody being given the same rights under the, under the common law in India is, is the brethren of the common life freeing the world by educating the kids that were in front of them and giving them a vision that lasted for generations. So, Jason, here's, here's what bothers me, and, and this is where I think I want to kind of talk about now where – the interesting way to back into this. I wasn't planning on doing it this way, but when I look now and I say, okay, where are Christians having that type of cultural influence? I don't see it in the way that I would like to at all. And and this brings me into Jordan Peterson and the Daily Wire yeah. plus yeah. whatever that's doing. So did you see the one the conversation with Dave Rubin yet? I didn't get a chance it? to watch that now. Okay. You don't have to. It's pretty bad. Um did you, you saw the one with him sending the message out yep. to evangelical messages. Okay. Yeah. yeah, to church Christian churches. What about the one to Muslims? Jordan Peterson. I didn't get a chance to watch that one. Now you're, you're not missing anything else either. But what I saw was the Daily Wire has now about eight hundred and ninety thousand subscribers to the Daily okay. Wire. They have what is a woman doc. They have Jordan Peterson's library, and he's going to be making more content on Daily Wire Plus. They have uh, Gina, what's her name? from uh, Gina Carano, yeah. Gina Carano, she did her film with them because of cancel culture, and it's, and it's just a soft wokeness at the end of the day. Um, what is a woman documentary falls short. Uh, it, it misses out on so much, even though it does a great job, and I really do like the film. Um, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson defeat their purpose of creating a culture of family. You know, <laughs> you talk about yeah, gay parenting. Yeah. And then the Daily Wire is going to, they just came out like, hey, we're going to make a whole bunch of kids content too. And you're right. like, oh, is Dave Rubin helping? Um, <laughs> you know, you just, it's all messed up. But what they've done ultimately is they told Christians that you won't be a part of this next round of conservatism. You right. will sit this one on the bench. You're on injured reserve. If we need you, we'll let you, we'll let you know. You can live in our world now. We're, we're totally fine having you here, but you won't be leading the charge on this. We are the new way forward. And I don't see anyone else. You know, you got pure flicks out there. I don't even know what their membership count is, but I'd much rather that my children watch um, Netflix than pure flicks. Right? Like, yeah. Because it's easy for us to see the enemy on Netflix. Pureflix is very deceptive, and it's just it's bad. It's bad content. This is too. 
it's just that you feel like you feel like it's safer, but it's not. It'll create the things that make things worse than Netflix and things yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, so it's no good. But Christians aren't even in the conversation of the streaming, creating content, the thing that's going to change the world, I guess, at the end of the day. Daily Wire knows what that move is. But part of them feel like they're on for the ride because of Jordan Peterson. And I think Jordan Peterson hits and checks off so much of what we want in a, a leader that allows for human flourishing. He sees the um, influence of secularism, even though he's breeding in a part. He's bringing in another part of secularism in one sense. Yes. Um, but here, he, his secularism allows for some sort of religious foundation. But one of the things that captured me was um, what he, who he is and what he holds to. And I was like, hey, man, who's Carl Jung? Like, cause I'm right. like, yes. Because there's, there's this part of the critique is like between Jordan Peterson and Dave Rubin, like he's a Jungian, uh, Jordan Peterson is a Jungian, so he, there's no conflict with him and the environment that Dave Rubin produces because for Jordan, it's not that you have to have a man or a woman. You need someone operating within the roles of men and women. So with Jungian, he's totally, you know, so I, go ahead. And, and like Carl Jung is, is a, he's a complex figure. So he was the guy that, was sort of knighted by Freud to to take to take psychoanalysis to the next level, but he ended up turning away from a lot of what Freud wanted to do, but centrally turning away from Freud's materialism. I mean, that was the biggest the biggest thing. So Freud was a strict materialist. Jung is an a non strict. But he, he's a materialist at the end of the day, but he's not a strict materialist, so he doesn't fit into our normal categories of materialism because he believes in uh, the mind. He believes in um, sort of a framework that uh, – an invisible framework that orients us that we're all connected to, um, that there's a sort of large – Psychic, but not psychic like like I'm reading people's minds. Psychic, but Alma, <laughs> but like I'm reading the universal mind psychic type of connection that all people have that holds them together. So Freud uh, believed in a radical alienation um, in a completely um, non-integrated universe that was strict, strictly material, and that all sense that could be made of it was something that we each individually had to add to it, and that the collective was the thing that was the danger, right? The collective was the thing that was causing the problems. So um, he was, uh, he, he believes in like a radical individualism, um, that that was pretty popular in the 1900s, um, and and Young believes in kind of a radical um, psychological corporate 
corporatism, right? That, that, that there's a universal mind that holds us together and that we are each conscious, um, instances of or, so, or something like that. Uh, so, um, and his, so he, he's the one that brought us terms like introvert and extrovert, but Myers Briggs, Myers Briggs personality tests, the, the idea, uh, the, the modern ideas of personality, um, that, that there are universal personalities and, and we, we each have different aspects of them. And so that our personality is made up of different percentages of the universal personalities, that sort of thing. So that's, um, that's all, uh, and the, the idea of a collective unconscious, um, that there's, that we each individually have an unconscious and then there's a collective unconscious. And so there are things that we say and talk about archetypes, ar- archetype, archetypal images, archetypal per- personalities, archetypal stories, all these things that we talk about are young, Carl Jung, J-U-N-G, bringing into the conversation of English psychotherapy, psychiatry through, so he's German and he was, he was legitimately brilliant. A polymath, which means he, he was an expert in multiple, uh, multiple, um, uh, areas of, of knowledge. Uh, and, and what, what's interesting, I, I have read some young, but mostly I've listened to lectures and listen to his interviews and he's he's brilliant like he's a legitimate a legitimate genius and you don't like Sigmund Freud was kind of a moron I mean he was a pervert who liked to talk about his own perversions um and other people were like oh I'm it it was Freud was was a little like Jerry Springer like Mm. You watch Jerry Springer because people are a lot more messed up than you on Jerry Springer, so you feel better about yourself. <laughs> That's what Freud is like. It's like, let me tell you about the most messed up people that I've come across that all have crazy sexual deviances. Turns out most of them were actually just him describing his. Own. <laughs> oh no! Right? Yeah. Um, and he would call. He would be like, "What a one of the." One patient had this thing, and it was just him. But uh, Young was—he w- was an actual, uh, an actual genius. Um, and when you listen to him talk, he's constantly bringing in real study, real knowledge. But he doesn't actually escape Freud's uh, materialism in with a small M, right? Freud was a materialist with a big M. Nothing that is real unless you can see it under a microscope, unless you can see it, you know, um, see it with your senses. Uh, what Jung adds to is that there are things like dreams and um, desires and thoughts that he said those are real things. They're not just. Um, electrical impulses in the brain that those are real things but they're still in in his mind cosmologically metaphysically they're still in the category of material things in that you can analyze them with science and that's the proper way to understand them 
And so he developed his theory of personality, which is now the Myers-Briggs testing, um, based on interview after interview after interview, uh, and and that that there was um, certain um, archetypes, pers- personality archetypes that people fall on a spectrum of. So introvert, extrovert, for example. Introvert is somebody that they gain energy. Uh, they, they, their body is physically renewed. Um, their mind is, is renewed by spending time alone. An extrovert is somebody whose body and mind is, phys- is physically renewed by spending time with other people, right? And he said, and everybody exists on this spectrum, right? And so he just, and, and he said, and we discover these archetypes through science. That the scientific method is the thing that's going to explain uh, all of all of what's going on. Um, knowledge, uh, it, you, the the fact that we have an unconscious uh, mind, right, things that are going on that we're not conscious of. Um, he uses the example, uh, and I'm, I'm going to get really uh, self-aware because, <laughs> because as soon as you start talking about it, but he uses the example of somebody that talks with their hands, right? You, I talk with my hands. This is, this is Carl Jung's example of the unconscious mind. So nobody thinks through what hand motions they're going to use, right? <laughs> <laughs> now I'm holding my hands because now I'm thinking about it. Right? Nobody thinks through that. That's a, your unconscious mind is, is working. And what Freud said is that the, that the unconscious mind reveals the true desires, right? So when we talk about a Freudian slip, you know, he says that that's your unconscious mind trying to push your true desires out into the, the world, the ones right. that you're afraid that you shouldn't have. Um, so, like, when you accidentally call your wife mom, um, you know, that, that, that's, that that's your unconscious mind trying to yeah, say that, because that he, he really actually... The foundation for that was that he believed every person has a desire for incest. So right, yeah, yeah. Inside of every person. So right. the unconscious mind is saying what it really wants. Right, exactly. And that and that's Freud. And Freud I mean Freud he just says we basically you know, how what do we what's the the center of our desire is these nuts, you know? Right. Absolutely. Everything is everything is sexual motivation. What right. young is like Well, well and go ahead. Well, I was gonna say it's sexual motivation around a couple things, killing your parents, and mm-hmm. then incest. So parasite, yeah. and then incest, and, incest, and then murder. Yeah. <laughs> so it's right. kind of so, so really, it's not just sex. It's actually what we talked about before. It's sex and murder. Yeah, right? yeah, sex and violence. Sex is and violence. The, right, and and um and and young comes along and he's like, you can't. That's not that. Maybe on the edges, right? So, because Young spent some time studying um, in mental ho- institute, mental hospitals, you know, where you've got the people who have who have cracked in their psychosis. And he says, on the edges, you might find that, but when you push back to the center of humanity, you actually find a different kind of motivation altogether. What you find is people casting themselves as characters in stories. Hmm. Our archetypal, there are archetypal stories, universal symbols, universal images that uh, that the that the psyche the, that our 
mind, which is it's the Greek word for soul, and he was comfortable with soul. So where Freud was like, no, there's no such thing as soul, and he tries to take the word psyche and basically turn it into uh, it, the brain or the mind, the, the mind, the mind and the brain kind of pulling together. Um, he, I mean, Freud's not a particularly good philosopher, so he, so he's, but but Jung was right. So he, Jung, he says, actually, if you sit and listen to people, uh, and, and what you find out is they're constantly casting themselves in as characters in in stories, and the stories seem to be universal. Right? You find them in, and this is where his his polymath mind. He was he knew ancient mythologies of all kinds of people throughout the world. He had studied the fairy tales across all kinds of cultures, west and east. He was. Uh, he was um, conversant with Hinduism, with Buddhism, with uh, with animism, all uh, as well as he was very conversant with Christianity. He actually had like, his descriptions of Christianity are accurate. Right? He, um, but he's always he's always pulling it into um, the the is and and he wants to say and they're all it's all real, but he's pulling it into a particular space where the reality comes from and it's all in our mind. But he means, he doesn't, so when Freud says that, he means like within an individual, they've got these particular thoughts rattling around in their brain. For Jung, it's, there's a universal connectedness of all mankind and that it, that everything fits together, but he means it in a Hinduistic Way in that, that there is a one um, that that there is a universal one that everything is a monad that fits together into a I mean, and really into an integrated universe and the thing that holds it together is the the corporate mind the collective conscience the con- consciousness or unconsciousness even, that the collective human unconsciousness holds reality together into a unified whole. Right. So, am I, is make, am I making sense? No, no, I think so. Let me say it this way. Is it that they're searching for a transcendence that isn't something that they are currently um, – it's trying to find a transcendent, ultimately, right? right? Absolutely. So, so what has happened? So, this is what's really interesting. So, personality types, right? You will hear people talk about Carl Jung and uh, Myers Briggs and kind of the development of personality types, and, right. and it's really it's really helpful to people. And it, right. it frees them. It gives them the ability to see their own motivations and things. And they'll say, and you will literally see this. People say. Carl Jung invented personality types, right? It's not true. The medievals had personality types. They had, and they, they use it for a lot of their humor, but they use it for a lot of their drama. Oh, yeah. They had characters. Yeah, they had, they had basic characters, right? And they were all, they, they had colors assigned to the different personalities. They, um, they had a really complex system of personality types. Um, but, all of that had been forgotten. So when Chaucer. Carl Jung, yeah, yeah Chaucer, right? He's yeah. Yeah. but but it was and this here's what's and this is why this is this is why somebody like Jordan Peterson 
feels the way he does to Christians. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than that. Right? Yeah, yeah. So there, there was an, an astronomical, astrological almost, but it wasn't astrology the way we think of astrology, aspect to personality types, right? The seven basic personality types, the seven deadly sins as, as fundamental motivations gone wrong, right? So you've got these seven, uh, and then they're all connected with one of the planetary bodies, right? That there's a, that the, and then within that, because of the influence of the gravitational pull of the planetary bodies and the fact that we are mostly liquid, that, that there is, uh, that there's almost a personality tide within the, like the way the tides move, the, the waters of the earth move around the globe um, because of the tides, because of the movements of the moon, that the influence of the moon on the tides, that all of the planetary bodies have an influence on the tides. So, all, so they knew about all the gravitation. They didn't call it gravity yet, but they, they had done the math. They understood the tides were in relation to the moon, and the, the moon pulled the waters to different sides with it. Right? They, they, they knew about how the waters of the globe functioned. Um, they, they understood all of that. Uh, in fact, Chaucer was an expert on the on uh, he he wrote the definitive guide on using what's called the astrolab, which is you know the the what you use to track the stars. And so, the, and what they said is our bodies have a, a connection to the heavens because we are heavenly creatures. We're intended by God to move through and beyond the heavens to his throne room. And um, and so they understood, so, so their personality types were all wrapped up in astronomy. <laughs> and be, because we're liquid, they called it the, the, influ the influence of the astrological world upon our bodies. And here's what's, in, what's I think, interesting, is if you put somebody in a room where they can't see the sun, within one cycle of the moon, their sleep will reorient itself around the, the moonrise and the moonset. So they'll be awake when the moon is up and asleep when the moon goes down. But their body will reorient itself to the moon if they can't see the sun. It, and it, so there is an influence. And so, G, and, I mean, Jesus cures people of lunacy, which means affliction by the moon. Um, Say it again. Lunacy, well, lunacy means affliction by the moon, right? You're afflicted by the, the spirit of the moon, afflicted by the, the presence of the moon. And, um, no, don't just get past that. What you talking about? <laughs> well, that's, that's one of the things Jesus heals people of. Right? He will say, this, this man is a lunatic. And then he'll heal him of his lunacy, free him from being afflicted by the moon. Right. How do so, you want to afflict someone? <laughs> do you want my theory? Or yeah. Do you want, no, I, yeah. I, 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 but it's totally a theory. theory. So I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know anything else that's going to fit inside of that box until we, <laughs> let's look at the theory until we find yeah. something else. I mean, I think that there, um, I, I think that there, so, to this day, if you talk if you talk to police officers, they'll they'll say, "Yeah, full moon's 
going to be worse. Yeah. Right. Everybody, everybody yeah. knows that there's something that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. 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 So for, and it, um, and I, I don't think God has given us all the information we need to be able to do the math. It's something that we learn through experience, through generational experience. Um, you know, the, it's, you've got similar things that happen when comets arrive where there, that people like mental hospitals go nuts. You know, it's just, and they, and they know that, but nobody has a good explanation. And this is where Freud wanted to say, it's all trickery, right? Your mind, it's all just the trickery of the mind. It's the trickery of society. Um, and, and Young said, no, I don't think that actually is a good explanation. I think there is actually a, a universal unity to, to creation or to everything that is, um, that, that it's, that it's integrated and that we are a part of it, right? We are integrated into it. Now, what he ends up doing is he takes St. Augustine's doctrine of the forms, Right. So St. Augustine, he, what he believes was how, how, how do we know when we see something what, it's, what it is, what its existence is? He said, well, the mind of God, what God thinks a thing is, is yeah. the defining feature of it, right? So right. The, right. Form of re, the forms of reality are derived from the mind of God, right? So the right. Logos. What God says a thing is, that's what it is, right? So... Um, that in the mind of God, he's got a particular definition of the thing. When he speaks it into existence, the definition of the thing becomes the reality. And so right. within it, it has the form, or it partakes of the form of what God says it is. So the, the right. mind of God is contains the form of a thing. Jung takes that and says, okay, that, but instead of God... It's corporate humanity. The, the, what corporate humanity says a thing is, what the collect, what collective humanity says a thing is, across cultures, that is what gives the world its unity, its shape. Right. So it's a integrated whole, and it's the collective unconscious where that integration. It is the integrating point, right? So, um, and, and I, I lost you. Sorry, I, I lost you somehow at some point. That you said the the what comes from the mind of God takes the structure and the form of what's the yeah, name so, of so things t- have their existence. They are what they are, right? Their metaphysical existence. They are what they are because they're partaking of what God what God believes they are or what God what what they are in God's mind. Right. Right. It's not really it's not so it's not a belief because it's direct. Right. right. So our all of our knowledge is indirect. We don't have direct access to, to the essence of a thing. But God's mind does. God's mind is the essence of a thing. Or the essence of a thing exists in God's mind. So a thing is what it is because of how it partakes of what God says it is or what God knows it is in his mind. So the knowledge of God about what the essence of a thing is, a thing partakes of that, and that's how it is. Well, so Young, what he does is he says, yes, that, except instead of the mind of God 
only, or may, I mean, he's he's hard when it comes to speaking about God because he's got this Hinduistic understanding. But be, he he says the, the collective unconscious, an unconscious of all of humanity across cultures has this archetypal knowledge, this these forms, and so that's where the unity of creation is found. But it's a real unified belief system. So if you've got in one culture, so you can go to China and they have dragons and dragon slaying and and interacting with dragons, and then you go to the Native Americans, they had dragon stories, dragon telling, dragon slaying stories, dragon monster stories. You go uh, to Africa, you go to Europe, you you find these archetypal archetypal images everywhere because they're actually our partaking of the collective unconscious, knowing these that there are universal symbols that mediate reality to our knowledge. Mm. Right. Because we don't have access to reality direct. Every, it's got to be mediated. We need a mediator. We need something that stands between us and reality so that we can know it. Wow. We said, well, the, the universal images, the universal... Um, the archetypal images mediate those that knowledge to us, so, so, mediate reality to us. Is, That's is it, Carl Jung. So is it, there's a ton of other things too. He's like he, he's got this really amazing theory of collective unconscious, the shadow in the collective unconscious. Why you can have whole groups of people go crazy, or all of a sudden violence break out everywhere, like it, like. All across college campuses in the 60s, all of a sudden violence breaks out everywhere. Or social Why? Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same, same thing. So we, we want to come up with a human being somewhere with a lot of money and power that we can blame all of it on, right? George Soros or something. Right. And, and Young is like, actually, it's kind of our fault collectively, <laughs> but we don't have categories of collective. And so we don't have a way of dealing with it. But Carl Jung, he has a really, I think, he really insightful, um, you know, shadow, shadow, human, like shadow of humanity um, that is the negative collective unconscious. That but it, now, not because it, it explains, not because it gives an answer. Because it gives you a vocabulary to talk about something, right? That, he's, that yeah. we don't have, right? We don't that we as Christians right now don't have, because we okay. have bought into Freud's Freud's individualism. So we're more. And Freudian so Carl Jung, we're more. We're, the church tends to be more Freudian. We and then so so Carl Jung feels like a way out, right? He feels refreshing, that and that's where Jordan Peterson comes in and he talks and we're like, oh, because he, there are universal archetypes that, well, there are, that, that's true, there are universal archetypes, that's not, but where do they come from and how do they fit and how do they mediate knowledge, Carl Jung is wrong there, but he's right about the universal archetypes, but he's, because he's more right than dispensationalism about reality, right, like, oh, uh, <laughs> oh, don't let. Oh, 
He said that. Okay, first of all, I just want to present to the judges that uh, you did not answer the question on why people go insane. <laughs> I saw how that you did a little. <laughs> I thought it did a really good job. I bobbed and weaved. Yeah, uh, you bobbed and weaved through that, but you know, you talked to the wrong one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to know what your answer is for why people go insane at night with the moon. I think. I think that um, that there's a uh, there are lunar lunar demonic spirits Same that are all, yeah. I, I think um, I, I mean I think the Bible discusses them. I think that there that there are I mean so and I think that that's why you get like the worship of this of the moon in the ancient world. Um, and I think the worship of the moon is coming back. There's the occult is um, there's a, a restoration of the occult that's going on right now that I think has to do with us that that is inevitable when the church stops um, preaching Christ right because Christ is the only thing that is an actual unify I mean, he's a scapegoat a unifying scapegoat um, that is the unifying principle of all things, right? All things were made by him, for him, and to him. He is the, the, the logos that holds everything together. When the church stops preaching Christ, then um, the void doesn't remain empty. And so I think you've got the, the rushing back in of these, of these demonic spirits. And I think that, they, that the demonic spirits the, the post-empire demonic spirits are sky, are astrological demons. <laughs> You're getting me to say things that I never, that I never say out loud, especially not being recorded. We came here. <laughs> hey, we came here to talk about Jordan Peterson. We about to talk about lunar demons, right? Because uh, <laughs> I think we, but I, I mean, we. Um, I think America needs demons cast out of it, right? But we don't, we're not ready to fill the space. The church is not ready to fill the space. And so we're going to get, we're getting seven demons worse than the first every time we cast demons out. Um, and I mean, I, I mean like literal beings. I think that they're literal demons are the problem. <laughs> like I'm not, not like psychological demons, but that's, that's okay, the Freudian. We got to talk about this for a second because like, this is this is uh, Peter Lightheart put me onto this, and ever since then I haven't been able to stop thinking about it in his book on the Gospels. Okay, um, in the I think it's called the Four, something like that. Yeah, the Gospels, something like that. Um, I read and, the free the free intro on Kindle. It was awesome. I haven't bought it yet, but uh, back in well, the day. he makes he makes a case that part of you don't see demon possession in the Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. And so part of the reason is that after at the end of the Old Testament, you have was it King Xerxes? Uh, yeah, uh, the Cyrus, Cyrus Xerxes. Cyrus. Yes, Cyrus. Xerxes who said, who basically has the Great Commission, says the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and let's make disciples of the nations, right? That's what his, that's how the Old Testament ends. And what they didn't end up doing was actually putting in place the proper priesthood that they should have or the evangelistic efforts that they should have done, they didn't do. They stayed local and became infected with 
and haunted by demons because they had conquered every. Yeah. There yeah. wasn't a nation yeah. for them yeah. to conquer. So, so then they got conquered by demons. Yeah, empires dis dislodge demons from their place, and so they wander. Right, because they because de- they de- they deplace the demons, and you see this all throughout history, and so then they wander. It, it, and I think there's there's also an aspect where there was a prediction in Daniel that you got four hundred and uh, four hundred ninety years until the Messiah comes. The devil knew that, and so he was also gathering forces. So there's, a, but I, I think that the demonics. Okay. So the reason Christians were put to death was because they wouldn't take a pinch of incense and throw it to the genius of the Caesar. The genius, we, we think in materialistic terms. And so when you say genius, we think that means that the emperor was really smart. The, the, it, it's the same word that for genie, like you rub a lamp and a genie comes out, right? That there's a, a, a metaphysical being that was giving the emperor spiritual power and insight, dark spiritual power and insight. I believe that the demon, the, the fallen angel in the garden that was the one that, <laughs> that led Adam and Eve astray, so Satan was the genie of the Roman Empire. But that that he was so he was gathering forces there as well, demonic forces, by dislodging them through the power of the empire. Right. So the emperor would go in and conquer a people, and he would move all of the idols around. You take that one there. You take that one there. Right. Time out. And I'm telling you, all of a sudden, I just want to say, 300 got way more interesting. I know. I know. All of a sudden, 300 got literally. This is, okay. This is okay. stuff I whisper after like two glasses of, of whiskey this, this, in the evening. We've ever done, and I don't care if nobody. Is, but this is the best I've ever been a part. Not some plug. Okay, keep going. Because you can, but I think you can actually track the authority. Uh, of the demonic authority throughout because because it's not because it's Ad, it's a, it's supposed to be Adam's authority he hands it over to Satan in the garden oh. uh. right so it's it's a real it, so the devil's authority is a is a real earthly authority it's not it, and um and and you can I think you can track it in the imperial which is authority. why we're Right when he comes to the throne of God and in, in, in Job, he's like, "What have you been doing?" Right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Oh, right. Like, I would tell you, you got your guard around him. So, right. Like, yeah. So, and, I mean, I think that was what the Tower of Babel was, and I think that each emperor empire was an attempt to rebuild the Tower of Babel. Oh, Babel. You know, the, the, so, so I, I, don't, I don't think it's a mistake that Babylon is named. Babylon after the Tower of Babel. It's a, it's in the same area. There's a restoration um, of that, and then but then it's it's taken over and it and it's and the authority of the throne is passed along and expanded through different empires. Um, and as they as the as the, each emperor con- is conquered or conquers other thrones, all that they do 
is they take they take the crowns and the um, the, the crowns and the staff and the robe, which are all the symbols of authority, and they literally sew them together, melt or melt yeah. them together, yeah. add yeah. them together, so that um, you you have the the powers um, being multiplied or combined right in in empire, and and by the time you get to Rome, I think you've got the greatest of the human empires, and that has the authority that Adam was intended to have in the garden, the okay, okay. king's I'm authority. With, so, but you still have to explain. Okay, so I'm with you. I'm, so I'm trying to... Okay, okay. We'll go insane with the moon. Well, because... Yeah, so... Um, so, the problem with demons is they won't stay put. Right? That's And that's all magic in the ancient world was about trying to get the demons to stay put where mm. you want them so that you can use their power, right? So you're trapping them in trees, trapping them in amulets. Um, but, but there, are, um, and so you, you, you read ancient magic textbooks like you do, <laughs> which you can find now because of Google books. Um, they, they fascinate me. You know, it's like take a pig on the full moon, walk it around your field three times, Kill it, sprinkle sprinkle it with with uh, sprinkle the the blood on your field. Take a bottle of wine um, and burn the uh, you know stack stack the rocks. Burn the pig. Pour the wine onto the fire, and then Mars will leave your field alone. Pliny the Younger, right? He's got a magic text. That he... No. I want to know why you know this. <laughs> no. No. I don't know why you know this. mad. But I think it's because I, I, the modern... this. So this, the reason that I started thinking this way is because we live in a world where everyone is trying to do magic all of the time. Right? We... The modern world, so the occult snuck back in. It had been mostly destroyed, right? The occult snuck back in through the Enlightenment. The Enlightenment folks, you read them, and you're like, oh, they're very philosophical, right? Then you read their personal histories, and they're like, oh, and they were constantly trying to call up the dead and ask advice, right? Oh, they like, these people are, <laughs> the, the, the occult was, um, was really popular, right? And so witch hunting was not a Christian. It was, Christians weren't witch hunters. I just want you to it know, was, our producer just put on headphones to listen to the show because he's like, oh my goodness, what is going on over there? <laughs> this is, this, like, we want to tell the story like the Enlightenment was this hyper-rational ration mo- movement, right? But it's, it's filled with the occult. They get really, really into magic because they're realizing this place, if, if this place isn't run by God, then the levers are up for grabs. And so they get into magic. They're trying to say, oh, because in the, in the Middle Ages, right, the, the, you, you have people that try to become magicians and different things, but, but everybody's like, God's in charge. You can't, if you don't have access, it doesn't matter what, you, there's no ritual access to, to the knobs and levers of the power of God. 
so it just kind of disappears. Um, uh, the, the third book of the space trilogy has a really great conversation about this when Merlin shows back up, right? It's, hey, and, don't worry about me. I'm coming through it. Oh, don't gun it. All right. Um, I'm so sorry. It's one of the best. Point. It's one of my favorite. It's, it's brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, I, uh, uh, but, but, so they get really, so the, the revival of the occult and of magic is right alongside rationalism, right? Well, when you get to the peak of rationalism in the 40s, really, 40s and 50s and Nazi Germany, the occult is like everywhere, right? Everyone is into the occult. Um, but then they're hyper-rationalists, right? Hyper-rationalists. But in the evenings, they do seances, the call of the dead, right? And they try to trap demons in amulets for, to gain power. And, you know, um, uh, the, you, you hear Amorak. stories. Yeah. What was that? The Tamarack. You know, you got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So you've got, you hear stories of hippies, you know, um, the amulet trade amongst, uh, amongst the hippies uh, was was crazy. You're, you're like, this will give you the power of a horse, and they buy it, and then they, you know, run around with. I'm not, I mean, I'm not even going to be. I'm not even going to be. This is going to be a little crude, but I got to tell you the story right now. There is an actress who was just out there. She's a black actress, came at Regina Hall or something like that, um, and she was talking about the fact that she keeps certain uh, stones that she clenches in her vagina because it changes her mood. And that's one of the ways that she drains the stone of its mood. And that's how she eliminates the beauty. Yes, absolutely. And so it's not even like a a sexual thing. It's just part of how she Mm -mm, gains power, exactly, from the stone. It's all such different ways. Yeah, so what a great movie. Great movie about Andy Kaufman, The Man in the Moon goes into his obsession with gaining power from crystals and you don't, people won't tell those stories, right? Those, but there, with, if you, if you dig and track and, and read you, that's, that stuff that grew up in the enlightenment and became like, they were having seances in the white house in the 20s and 30s at the height of rationalism, right? Um, it's like, what? And okay. okay. So then, so the, the, the moon thing, okay, we still have to get this. They don't stay yeah. put. So they, so, so, but so the, so the demons won't stay put. And so all the attempts to trap them um, end up going wrong, right? So, uh, and, and end up where now you've got a spirit on the loose, right? And because the devil left to us, and says, "Hey, you can become like God right. and control demons, right? And have power over demons, right? That's the lie, right? And so, um, you know, the one of the one um, the 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 one time that I had to cast demons out of a guy or was cast, casting demons out of a guy, he had been in uh, Hell's Angels, and uh, said, so well." What? So what does motor, what do motorcycles have to do? How did you get demon possessed? He's like, well, <laughs> let me tell you the story. Like, and then and then you know you're into it when it and so um, his the the Hell's Angels that he was involved in 
they were cousin cousin organizations with the son of Sam cult, right? Um, and so he got invited to a son of Sam party that his Hells Angels did, and so show up, and it was like all the drugs and cocaine that you could want. And he was like, awesome. This is great. And so he dives in. And and, uh, and then uh, the next day, at the end of the day, he gets a bill delivered. Here's how much cocaine you snorted, and here's how much it costs. Here's when and where you can pay. Right? And so, like, oh, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize I had to pay for it. I thought it was free because it was just out on the table. And so he shows up at the t- date and the time with the money to pay and it's another one of those parties with all the cocaine out on the table again pays his bill and they're like well, come on in right goes in all the drugs you could want uh, again and and he's like but I know how it works now and so now the bill shows up the, the next time but the bill also tells you the date and time of the next one of these son of Sam gatherings that says it, it really was like whatever drugs you could think of, they were there. And that was his thing. And so he um, shows, goes goes into this. But now, so now he sees the bill as an invitation to as, as much drugs as he could want. After a few of these, then he's invited into the back room where they're sacrificing a goat and having an orgy in the blood of the goat. And he's like, and that's how I ended up possessed. <laughs> so he was possessed with a whole series of demons. And, uh, and they say, real white people stuff. I'm just saying right now, like, that's. Yeah, right. So, although I will and, say Atlanta has gotten that bad and that black culture has completely embraced a lot of that crazy. Yeah. The sex orgies out there. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. And, and, but he, and, he, and what he said is, at first it was great because I had power. I, and he had never had it before. I'd always been the guy on the outside. He said, but then with the power of these demons inside me that at first it was like, oh, I could take, make the lock. I could unlock the door from across the room and was, uh, that sort of stuff. I th- that he was like, but then they also started torturing me to get me to do what they wanted. Right. So the, it started with the promise of power. They gave him a taste of it. And then it became, but here's what we want from you. So no more music that had a melody. So they would pun it. They would punish him if he uh, listened to music with a melody. That no more. And so he's. And so then it became, how do I make the voices stop? And so he started. Um, then the drugs were a way of numbing the voices, right? Because if he blacked out, then didn't know right and so he'd um and so he'd go down to the same bar every night and start a fight right and that was how he dealt with the fact that he's he's like either i can be in control of the torture or they are i'm going to be in control and so he would go down and get in a fight get himself arrested whatever whatever it took to make him feel like he was still in control now here's the thing this guy was a florist that's what he did good he was a good florist and he loved flowers it was a like you get him talking about flowers and he could talk about the beauty and the way flowers like he loved loved flowers ask him about music 
nothing, right? Because if he talked about music that night, he would be physically put into pain by the demons that lived inside of him. It was, I, it, I was, you know, I was, I was not raised on this stuff, right? So this is like, this is crazy. But so one night he's walking past church <laughs> and he says, what's it like in there? Right. And he, and say, well, you can come in. He's like, no, I can't. No, I can't. Like, well, sure you can. I mean, he's like, no, they'll punish me if I come in. We're like, okay, something, right? And then my first thought, obviously, was crazy guy, right? Um, but then you talk to him a little bit, and you're like, well, he's, but he's not. Right? He's in his right mind. Um, and in, and so we, we start talking. and said, well, just come to church this Sunday. And he's like, I could never. And he's like, well, give us your, give us your phone number. He's got his phone number. Invited him to church. Showed up at church, just like pouring sweat. Couldn't, he couldn't, and he's like, I can't, I can't do it. Took off, right? So didn't make it through the front door. Next Sunday, invited him to church again. He shows up, dra- like, dra- like drags himself through the door after, um, and sits there, just like sweat, eyes closed, just clenched in the back corner. Um, and, uh, leave church and we're like, you know, we want to go hang out or something. He's like, no, I got to go recover. Um, so what do you think? He's like, do you think I could pay attention to anything? He said, all, all I heard he was in this year, this swear word over and over in this year, this swear word screamed at me the entire time. He said, I couldn't hear. As soon as I walked through the door, I couldn't hear a thing other than the screams of these two swear words, one in each year. And I was like, I, it's like I'm out of my depth at this point. Like, and so we, um, and so uh, he, that night, he calls a friend, uh, one of my friends that was there, and and he was like, hey, I don't know what you guys did to me, but my heroin stopped working. And so my friend calls. He's like, hey, let's go over to his house because he. I think this movie never go over. Right, yeah. Never go over the house, right? Um, nope, is what she said. But so we show up at his house, and he is, um, and he, um, like we call to say, "Hey, we're on our way," and he's like, D- uh, "Don't come over. I just, um, you know, I just had to throw my heroin dealer out. It's not a good night." It's like, "No, dude, we're almost there." So. <laughs> show up and it's he and we don't and it's not him it's a, it's a we're t- it's a demon that's just manifest and that's who's waiting at the door for us and he said um he says i knew you'd come and you shouldn't come in and my friend just was like well we're coming in in the name of jesus and he turns around and walks away and he sits down in the chair we go in and just say, try to say the things that Jesus says to the demons in the Bible and tell them they have to leave. Like, we don't know what, really what we're doing. <laughs> but they just do, right? One at a time, um, you know, the, 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 and each time that 
a demon comes up, they pull something out, right? So a demon, first demon comes up, and he pulls out, opens a drawer, and just puts all of this, all these drugs, just crack and pot and a bunch of things, just on the table in front of us. And we say, okay, well, that's a drug demon. In the name of Jesus, you have to leave. And then um, uh, another one comes up and it starts just spouting, like, the filthiest words you could think of. Okay, you, that demon, you have to leave. Then he starts, then he takes off all his clothes and he pulls out all this porn out of a big bucket. It was okay, well, the demon of lust or whatever that is, you have to leave. And then he picks up the... Uh, the couch over his head and it's okay it's a demon of power or forces you have to leave and and then all of a sudden he's in his right mind right and we say okay now we need to pray and that that the the Lord comes into your life and so he's like okay and we pray and and he just says oh my gosh it's so warm <laughs> he's and then he's in his right mind, right? And then we have a big bonfire. We burn all that stuff, and he's reconcile. And we start the process of, over the next few weeks of reconciling, of calling his wife, ex-wife, asking for forgiveness, calling his parents, asking for forgiveness, um, getting him to church. You know, and it's it's it really is like. And then he was in his right mind, and he wants to serve the Lord and and we he moved into another apartment this is one of the crazy things right he moves into another apartment and now the, this guy's just like if you this guy becomes like an addict of the scriptures mm. reading reading three four five hours a day gets off work as a florist goes home read the Bible read the Bible so pretty soon like we're getting together and he's just like tell me, explain this story to me. What's this going on? Or like, oh my gosh, if you look at this story. And like, he's just an addict of the word. Um, and he's, he, whole new, whole new apartment. He moves, nobody doesn't know, doesn't tell anybody from his old life, right? And about three, three weeks, two, two weeks in, a guy just shows up at his door with, that, from the, the old world. And it was like, hey man, I brought, a bag of cocaine, right? Just shows up at his door, and he's like, "And do you remember this girl? Like, we're gonna. I'm going over there. So this girl that that used to be a part of the orgies and stuff. Like, we're going over. So there's no way for this guy to know where he lives, anything. But he shows up with the old temptations, and he says, "Oh, I'm so glad you're here. I just got a new Bible. I want to tell you some things." And he, and he turns around and grabs the Bible and he turns back and the guy's running down the hallway full speed, like away from him. And so he's like, there's, there's, that, that guy shouldn't have known where he lived, shouldn't have known any of that, and he shouldn't just be showing up. But, but the, the devil hates losing someone, right? So he's coming back for him. And it, it's, it's, it, and we want to say, you know, you know what we need is, our, what our churches really need is we need a um, a better business plan, <laughs> right? We need if we need we need to, um, so Jason, uh, the, like well, you know what we need we need to start casting demons out of this place. 
because they're flooding back in as the gospel disappears. Well, and that's we stop preaching Jesus, the, the demons flood back in. I, I think that what we stopped seeing was so. This goes back to my point about Peter Lightheart. When the end of the Old Testament ends, you have the proclamation to go to the nations and disciple them mm-hmm. in this way. They didn't do that. They stopped taking dominion. Demons came, and then since another nation couldn't torture them, demons came and tortured them. So by the time that Jesus comes on the scene, the the nation that they're underneath is really the least of their worries because they have demons that have integrated inside of the society and now have oppressed them. Right? They're 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 run rampant with with demonic powers that have stopped them because they weren't taking dominion. And so I. As I'm looking right now, there is nothing to me more clear about demon possession than people running around cutting off their human parts that make them male and woman and slicing and cutting. Mean, when we start seeing cutting coming back into the teenagers and the young men, we should have known that that was demon possession from the beginning. right? Why are you cutting the flesh? The, one of the first things they want to do is mutilate the image of God. When we started seeing abortion come back in, we should have saw child sacrifice and worship and demonic possession. We should have seen all of that. Mm-hmm. And now it's getting worse. And now that whole transgender thing and the homosexual thing has become a permanent piece in the culture, you're dealing with demonic spirits in a way that you haven't dealt with before because you refuse to take proper dominion, Right. And and when you don't garden the garden, what you end up getting is it ransacked with other sorts of creatures that should have been put out and killed, but you created a climate for them to flourish and grow, and now it's pushing you out of the garden. And yeah. so, now, that said, I still don't understand the moon thing. <laughs> well, so, the we we tend to think that the sun, the moon, and the stars are just giant balls of flaming gas. They're just a physical thing. But that, but they're, we're told when they were created on the fourth day that they are for times, for their clocks, their calendars, they, they're, and then their authorities, right? Their powers. And we tend to say, well, that's just, that's a metaphor or something rather than um, taking it at face value. But, but that's a new way of thinking, right? that, there's, that, there's, that the planets are not spiritual authorities. Um, now, they've been – so Jesus now has all the authority in heaven and on earth. But he didn't the, – the authority on heaven, the, the authority of the heaven, heavenly realm, we tend to say, well, that means – like the place where God's throne is or the heaven of heavens. But he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the authority of heaven, of the heavens, was established by God on the fourth day. And then you see it's mentioned over and over and over throughout the Bible, but we we metaphoricalize it. We de-metaphysicalize it, right? We we say it's, it's, it's a... I mean, I mean, but but we do this with the first days of creation, right? We say, well, they're metaphors, so they, it can't be real. It's a poem, so it's not reality. What, what have you looked at this place? What better thing is it? Well, I mean, it's a, a it is a poem, right? It's a living, breathing poem. Um, 
And so we, we separate, and this is why Carl Jung becomes so attractive to the young men who are built to be poets. Carl Jung says there's a poetic unity to it all. There's a storytelling mm. unity, unity to it all. He misplaces it, but we say, no, there's not. <laughs> Rather than saying, yeah, there is, but it's from the, it's from the voice of God, right? It, the scriptures are the, actually, they're the ones that, def, that give us that poetic unity that holds everything together. I mean, we, there was, um, you know, what, there was a, uh, a classical Christian school that I know of where, um, there were the the junior and senior boys had started a secret Jordan Peterson reading group, <laughs> right? And they they it was secret because they thought they were going to get in trouble. It was Jordan Peterson because he was giving them a unified vision for their life that they weren't getting from their churches, right? So these were Christian seventeen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds boys that were not getting a unified vision of the world for their life. They were not, they were not walking away from church with an understanding of what they were for and they were getting it from Jordan Peterson. Or that dragons needed to, or that dragons existed and need to be killed. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's what, so, um, and so, uh, you know, Young's take on, on, so C.S. Lewis says, or because G.K. Chesterton actually, C.S. Lewis quotes him in, um, Chesterton says there are dragons in children's stories not because uh, be, because children know that there are dragons there are dragon slayers in children's stories because children need to know dragons can be slain right so we, we need fairy tales about dragon slayers um, because the kids already know the world is full of dragons but what they need is the hope that the dragons can be slain and so somebody like Jordan Peterson is giving those, giving kids that hope that there's a unified vision in which dragons exist for a reason and that I have been, and then I should go out and slay them. But that, that goes right back to the beginning of our conversation where we're talking about streaming. What is it that people watch when things get bad? They have a set of things that they watch and engage with because they need to know in one way or another there is a way out of the particular predicament that they're in. And I think the reason why they look at people with wealth is to say they didn't always, they weren't always there. They got there somehow. And if that pattern is repeatable, then I can follow that pattern and get out of this particular situation in the same way. Right. Because the thing about American wealth that's different is that it's not always generational. It hasn't, it's not an aristocracy. It's, it's developed over merit over time. Um, and so it's possible that within one generation or a half of a, a generation, you can obtain a certain sort of lifestyle that you couldn't have obtained anywhere else at any other time right. in, in history. And so the, that reality is like, you yeah, don't have to be Rih- where Rihanna is a billionaire. Right. She yeah. didn't start that way. Jay-Z signed her. That right. Yeah. So youngest, youngest self-made billionaire, I think ever. Yeah. For, um, and, and she's, She's smart with her money, right? She's uh, she's got uh, people around her that know how to invest. Like all that's all that's really good, but she has opportunity in America that you're not getting anywhere else. Okay, so I gotta we gotta you've opened up a whole bunch of hands now, buddy. This, that wasn't where I was expecting to go. To that wasn't 
<laughs> nowhere close, but you said something but, in passing. I'm so mad at myself because last time we were talking, you said something in passing, and I said, hold on. He said that he's not getting up. Yeah, I know what it was. Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was because I was listening to it with Sharon. She was like, what are you talking about Noah in the Chinese language is what he was probably <laughs> I heard that mess, and I'm like, you don't, I know you. You don't just be yeah. stuff and don't be knowing how to drill down on it. And it was shame on me that I didn't stop you. I'm like, I'm never doing that again. But we had so much to talk about that I was like, okay, I'm going to let him go this time. But I remember you said, no, it's probably speaking Chinese, and that's probably the original way. We got to talk about that because you're going to get off the <laughs> <crazy. laughs> I mean, is insisting that I give all my weird theories. So, but, but, but no, 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 it's not weird. It's. What just happened was the, the very thing that we were looking for from someone like Carl Jung or Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. or Bly, Robert Bly, I think was his name, um, who Jordan Peterson is yeah. kind of mim- mimicking in some, or is a reminder of, is the enchantment of the world. Exactly, 100%. And that's what Carl, Carl Jung, he looks around and he's like, yeah, this is an enchanted place. Right. And, and but, but for him, humans are the enchanters. Right. Rather right. than God. Right? Same Rather than God. But, you know, I think Peterson the same thing. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing, is they're not, that's, they're not totally wrong. Because Jesus is 100% and fully human, and he is the, the enchanter of this place. Right? He is the, the, the one who enchants the world. He's the one that 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 then when an evil enchantment was put on the world, he's the the curse breaker that broke the enchantment that was on the world in order to restore it to its original intended enchantment. Jesus did that by becoming a man, by becoming the new Adam, which makes us all think, well, wait, I'm a descendant of Adam, right? I'm I'm a priest after the order of Adam. What, how it, that, that must be part of my job, right? Is to enchant, to break curses and re-enchant, right? And, and they're right. And that's where Carl Jung sees that impulse, identifies it, names it, and then says, but it, but there must be some sort of interhuman explanation. Rather than saying, oh, that's, that's God's intention. Right, rather than a metaphysical explanation, it's an interhuman so is explanation. It, is it? So, Go ahead. Well, and, and and so somebody like Jordan Peterson resonates with the, especially the young men, for that reason, because he is he is saying he is identifying um, that in the the central the 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 um, the priestly nature. Of young men, yeah, but but I think that what he's done though is they remove the mediator mm-hmm. to the transcendent and have made um, the story the transcendent thing, mm-hmm. and then the more that you are able to tap into that, the more human you become. Versus repentance and trust in Christ rebirths you into the priesthood that you're supposed to be a part of. Right. And so only through faith in Christ does one come to become more human. 
and, or have their humanity humanity unbent un- unbent yeah but and, well yeah. I, guess, I guess so you know everybody made in the image of god that's right but being able to flourish in that mm-hmm. exactly you can't flourish in that apart from christ right because apart from christ there is nothing our, so our humanity bends in on itself right an empire right. is a big circle of bending in on ourselves Freud gives us a teeny tiny circle of bending in on ourselves. Carl Jung tries, is trying to get us back to a big circle of bending in on ourselves. In fact, bigger than the empire because it's the entire human race right, that, that is bent in on itself. But it's all bent in on itself when we're actually designed to stand between. Right? We're, we're, de- we're designed to stand between God and creation. Right, we're, we're we're designed to stretch our arms between God and creation, and 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 exist as priests, right? To to oblate as as priests, but um, anything without Christ is a turning in on itself, right? Is is a is a and it's a smaller a big circle, but Carl Jung says we can have the biggest possible circle bent in on itself, but we're designed to be a cross, not a circle. Oh, okay, so that makes sense because now that makes sense why Jordan Peterson does a video to Christians and to Muslims, right? right? Because young, because they all fit in young secularism, right? It's a right. big secularism, and so but it's a secularism. Or Freud gives you a little teeny tiny secularism, which and both of them are extremely dangerous because you still get you still get demonic power and possession from. Both of those, but right. right. So if if you're bending in on yourself, but but Freud Freud gives you individual possession. Jung gives you corporate possession. Okay. Oh man, you don't have enough time. How, okay, we have to keep talking about this. Explain what you mean. By but this. so so for Freud, everybody becomes a little tiny, a, a little you know a a billiard ball or a BB. You know that's it that is alienated into itself, right? right? And so the space in which the possession is possible is me, right? I got I, you. I am individually possessed. I got you. For for young, for uh, for Carl Jung, the, the the space made available for possession is the collective unconscious of mankind. Right, the collective and the the collective culture. So you get, can have a cultural demonic possession, in, and he, and he's recognizing something I think is real, right? And he calls it uh, the collective, the the sh- collective, the shadow of the collective unconscious, right? The um, where he says there are times when an entire culture is possessed by something, and he just says. The only thing available is our humanity in his in so so for him, it must be some kind of psychological type, right a collective persona you know um and he but he's recognizing something that's real like why why do we have school shooters everywhere? That's strange well, why did we have college shooters before, and now we have high school shooters? elementary school shooters is you know where i think it's pushing yeah. right why, why is it 
what is making the collective possession in those places possible? Right? Something. And where where are the entry points in the, in the ancient world? Drugs, ritualized sexuality, um, homosexuality. Right. That, what what was going on on campus in the late sixties? Drugs, ritualized sexuality. Right. What's what's going on now in high schools? Drugs, ritualized sexuality. I mean, it's. It, and what's happening? The violent possession of, of the culture, right? Of, of the, 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 the demon of erotic violence, right? I, I mean, this this is... <laughs> you know, this is... I'm sorry, but I'll let you finish it because you're laughing. I, don't know, I want to know I, what you're going to say. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing because... I... This is... This is it, in a secular world, this is crazy talk. But we, but the, but the secularists are wrong. Well, the secularists are wrong, right? That, we do yeah. not live in a materialistic secular world. But they know that. They, they, they know that. They know that, and don't, and and are trying to resist reality. But the yeah. only way to resist reality is magic. It, see, this is why. The book you gave me with J.I. Packer on Knowing Man is probably one of the most important books I ever read because what he taught, the way that he defined secularism was removing Christianity from having religious impact inside of political, social environments. It's not removing religion from those environments. Yeah. It's removing the Christian religion from having impact in the society because they need to fuel and promote their form of religious um the, the the supper the sacraments they have their own sacraments that they have to put in place but they can't put that this is what freud does you can't put in place your sacraments if that spot if that room is filled this is demon possession yeah. demons can't come into a place and take it if there's already someone in there if christ right. is yeah. there they can't take that place Jesus talks about this. That's why you don't cast out a demon and leave the joint empty. And leave the joint empty, yeah. Because when he comes back, he's coming back with the homies. All right? And so, so, and this is the same thing. Like, the society has to cast out Christians, has to cast out the Christian sacraments and all the Christian worldviews and because they have to fill it with something else. And this is why Leviticus is so essential and important. Everybody... Pastor Toby just preached a sermon on this. I, I recommend everybody goes and listens to a series on Leviticus. But one of the things he says is that every – in Leviticus, it teaches you not to um, partake of not – not to try to get life out of the blood or sex. You don't get life out of blood or sex. That comes – you are right to see that life is in the blood. You are right to see that there's something fruitful of sex. But when you use those things to try to get life out of them, then you've turned into an idol, and now you're practicing witchcraft. And that's exactly what's happening in our culture right now. When you look at our culture, the things that are driving it are abortion, trying to get their own lives, their life. I wanted to be a 
uh, Olympic gold medalist. I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be this. I wanted to be – you name it, whatever that they want, out of blood. They had to make a sacrifice between what they want and then what they should have as a, as a, a natural desire. And they cut that off and they sacrifice it to the idol of what I could be. And then – and, that, and, that's, and then they take sex and they say, so I can enjoy the pleasures and my pleasures of I want. Um, they use sex as like power. What, is, what has the, been the whole point of uh, climbing the corporate ladder? It's sex. That's how I get into a position of power and authority is who I have sex with, who I'm able to use to get me to where I need to go. That empowers me. And, so, and it's so clear Leviticus is making this point. That is when you do that, that is idolatry. That is witchcraft. And you're using those things to try and gain power and authority uh, in the world to operate that way. And so it, there are – there are there's a demonic spirit, and, and I wouldn't even say – maybe it's a – I would say it's a curse that comes with operating in that way that opens you up to demonic possession, right? You, you can't – have, there's no neutrality here. <laughs> right? Right, there's no right, neutrality right, here. Right. And so um, one is going to beget the other by nature. And this is why when you see, like, when you were telling your story, I was thinking, it's like, the story of these only come out through prayer and fasting. Like, you are going to have to completely reexamine the world that you live in, how the world operates, and be rooted in the scriptures and in Christ to know how to deal with this current situation, which is why the Daily Wire bothers me. If they're going to go up against demons and they think that they're going to be able to cast these demons out with some other name or without the real authority of Christ, but some archetype of it, they're going to get beat and knocked out naked. It's not going to work. Or right. they're going to get more demonic possession. There's just no, there's no middle ground on this to me. Um, it's the Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Who are you? That's yes. right. right. That, that's what that and and it's that's so hard because it's like we're it's not it's not a it's not a straight down the middle battle, right? Where it's like so there's there's that weird moment when um, in Ephesus. They're chanting, "Great is Diana of the Ephesians." Yeah, yeah. And Paul, Paul looks and he sees a congregation. He's like, "Oh, perfect! They're gathered. I should get up there and preach." The mayor of Ephesus, who's a friend of Paul's, says, "Paul, <laughs> can you not?" Right, right. And so it's a it's a very strange moment. Is the mayor of Ephesus a Christian? It doesn't seem like it. Is he friends with Paul? Obviously. Does he want what's best for his city? Well, it seems like he does. Is Paul being torn to pieces in ritualistic violence going to help? The mayor looks at him like, no, I don't think so. Paul, can you not? Right? It's, it's a very strange, it's a very strange moment. Um, and Paul, uh, he when he backs up and he, he is explaining um, his ministry, he uh, you know, preaching is is his ministry, right? Preaching is actually the thing that so that, that the the truth telling with the authority of the spirit is the thing that recreates, 
Right. You've got a world made of words. The recreation is a pre the exercise of preaching is the recreation. It the preaching of the word is what has power to recreate humanity, recreate the world, rebuild it. And that pushes the demons away out of the way or it fills the space so that there's not space anymore for the demons to go after the demons direct doesn't work. Mm. Um, it's, right. And how is it, how is it that the Diana of the Ephesians was overcome? It was through the preaching of the word that was happening in the church and affecting the world. Right. So there's, um, yeah, but you know what, though, that, that, that's a huge problem because part of um, part of inside of Baptist culture, the way that they understand their institution, it doesn't have an effect on society in the same way. And so that's a problem when it comes to what – so then the reality is that that's what preaching does. But if you don't have a theological foundation to – understand that that's the influence of your preaching, then you don't think that you should, or you don't expect anything to happen in the culture. So then you don't preach certain things either. You don't engage in certain ways, and you don't have a church that understands the impact of itself as an institution in the public, right? Well, but so That's I, a huge problem if, if you're not going to break that if you don't have an understanding of the impact or the goal of that sphere in society. But I, I think you're also going to mistake criticism and preaching oh uh, oh you don't have you got 10 minutes you don't got that much time you're going because if you because you can stand up and criticize the the work the world that's easy it's, a, oh. it's actually it doesn't it's not even a risk right it's critic critics don't critics risk nothing um but if to stand up and preach the truth preach a positive message of who Jesus is is that's where the risk is and I, I mean I, I don't think that the devil's afraid of us criticizing the world that doesn't bother him at all it just adds to the rivalry right he loves that when you say a positive message of who Jesus is what do you mean by that I mean the preaching the truth of here is who Jesus is here is what he has done here is what he has accomplished here is the triune God, here is what he has done, here is what he has accomplished, and and here is what love looks like, right? Here is how to live, here is what a society full of love looks like, right? It's easy to get up and say, world's screwing it up, world's messing up here, world's messing up here, world's messing up here. The risk is when you say, and Jesus died for that world, and here's what it's going to look like. For that world to come into the kingdom, okay. here is what here is what's going to change. Right here is what um, here's what it looks like for you to love your neighbor in an economic way. Here's what it looks like for you to love your neighbor as a construction as, as a general contractor. Here's what it looks like for you as a politician to love your neighbor and, and um, live out your faith in in your job as a politician. Right when you do that, that is a risk. Okay, so you didn't say this. You didn't say this, but this is a conclusion that I think you have to, to make after hearing something like that. You have to have an ecclesiology that has a direct connection to a, um, eschatology. 
Right. Yeah. You got to have an integrated, an integrated. Yeah. Theological understanding. Yeah. You don't, because I'm, I don't care. You don't get there apart, apart from being practical post millennial. You don't get there. (laughs) I see see what you're doing. Yeah. 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 But, but this is, but here's the thing though. So dispensationalism believes in a non-integrated covenant world story, right? So, um, and, and we'll always lose to Jordan Peterson. Mm. We'll always lose to Carl Jung, right? They're going to come in and they're, they're going to be able to pull all of your young men out of the church because the young men aren't going to have a, um, they're, they're not going to be able to look at the world and say, place fits together. I've got a place in it. Here's my, here is the, the place where I am breaking the curse. Um, you, in, by the power of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, who raised him from the dead, who lives inside me, right? But, and I say thank you for all of it at the end of it because it's not in my strength. But I, I have a, I have a role in this world that all fits together, right? Um, did, I, did I mention the art, art affluence and alienation? The book. No, another one I need to buy. It's really, so it's written in the, it's written in the early sixties. And it's it's a journalist who just is like, what the heck happened to art? <laughs> What's going on? Like, you used to have great, beautiful, wonderful art. He said, and now we have art that is saying something different. And so he just digs in. It's really well researched. It's and um, and he he's it's he's not coming at it and judging modern art. He's is that it? Art affluence and alienation. Um, the uh, yeah, the, the, the from Roy thing. McMillan, McMullen. Yeah, yeah, Roy McMillan, Roy McMillan, and he and he's coming at it kind of from a journalistic standpoint and describing it, trying tr- not not trying to judge too quickly, but trying to understand why is it that art is suddenly terrible. Um, and his his so his conclusion is that. In a non-integrated universe, art can't be descriptive of anything but the artist himself. Right? Oh. And if the artist is alienated from the world, then all you can get, because you don't have access to objective truth, objective beauty that you're trying to put on display and reflect. All you've got access is your own alienation. And so, um, and, it, and basically the, 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 mythos of the ancient world is no no longer holds and so we don't believe that there's a world that holds together in which we have a place so you get modern art did you did you start reading that quadrivium book but the wooden no book i haven't one? started yet no i just actually just bought this book so here we go <laughs> that that quadrivium book on geometry uh arithmetic uh Music and astronomy. Yeah, it is phenomenal. It, you look at it, and you're like, oh, this is why modern art's bad because we don't believe any of this stuff anymore, right? We don't believe that there is an objectively beautiful world that can be described and reflected by me as a creator because it is a creation. All right, dude, we got to end. We got to end. Yeah, we do. 
Sorry. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. I have, we'll talk. There's something, I think we need to talk about current culture and the demon possession of it for next. I think that we have to go through that. That is not a finished conversation. So we'll talk about that next yeah. week. All right, man. I'll, I'll hit you up. I know you got to run. I got to run too. All right. Thanks. Jason. No, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> All right, bro.